Welcome back to Cleveland Baseball Talk from Cleveland.com. I am a temporary guest host, Doug Maurice, joined by the legend Paul Hoynes. And Hoynesy on this Monday podcast, we are previewing the Chicago White Sox with Scott Merkin from MLB.com. Hoynesy, how, how in your mind, like how much of a threat are the White Sox now and in the future to the Indians? I think they're a, a, a dangerous team, Doug. You know, I, I wonder how this uh, delay in the season is going to affect them, though. You know, they've got an interesting mix, great young players. They brought in a lot of veteran guys. And how does that come together after you've been sitting for, you know, two and a half, three months, if, if and when they do start playing baseball? So I think that might be a drawback. But overall, this is a great team and a team that you're going to have to – the Indians are going to have to reckon with. The Yale Central is going to have to reckon with for the next two or three or four years. Scott's going to talk about some of the best players on the White Sox, the way they've gone about building this roster. But Hoynesy, with with your time in the game, as you observe this from afar, uh, the White Sox clearly had a plan to tear it down and build it back up. Did you like that plan? Did you think they were nuts as they sort of went through this? And I mean, you can, you can go through um, the White Sox history, and they have not had a winning season since 2012. Since then. 63 and 99, 73 and 89, 76 and 86, 78 and 84, 67 and 95, 62 and 100, 72 and 89 last year. Hoynesy, that's a lot of losing. Did you sort of understand where they were coming from, or did you think they were going about this the wrong way? You know, I, I understood where they were coming from. They, finally, the year that when, when they traded Sale, Chris Sale, I think that was 2017, maybe 2016. I got it then, but before that, uh, Doug, they were treading water. And, you know, I just, you know, it's, it's hard to lose so much, you know, year after year after year, especially when you've got the Cubs in the same city that, you know, are doing well, that are building a team. And I thought that really hurt them. But when they finally made the decision to just pull the plug, take it down to the floorboards and start over, you know, I understood where they were coming from. Hoynes, we know that the Indians um, have ha- had their run before last season of three straight. We know the Tigers had their run of four straight uh, a little earlier in the decade. The, White- the Royals had their run, a back-to-back World Series. The Twins finally won a division title again last year. The way the AL Central is set up, you know, if, if the White Sox are on the rise, does it make sense to you that these franchises would sort of change positions every couple years, like a new – a new team comes on the scene to maybe take over for a couple years stretch. Does that make sense the way this division is built? Or do you think that there should be one of the teams in here that is sort of like the dominant force year after year, after year, after year? Yeah, that's a great question, Doug. I, I think the Indians have kind of been that team. They've, they've, they've had, a, you know, for seven straight years, they put a winning team on the field. You know, they've been to the uh, world series. They won three division titles. They've been to the postseason four times. You know, they have tried to do it a little differently than the White Sox and even the Twins and Tigers and especially Kansas City. They haven't torn it down all the way down to, you know, the footers, the concrete footers and started over again. And I think uh, that's their kind of philosophy to to see if the, how far they can extend that that winning streak to keep winning, to always get to the postseason, because their philosophy is if you get there, you have a shot. 
Poinsy, is there anything you want to add? I know you and Joe Noga and Joe's Joe's off this week, which is why I'm here. You won't have to put up with me much after this, though. But I, I know you guys have been just talking about this constantly on this Monday podcast as we kick off the week before we get to Scott Merkin, who's right around the corner. Is there anything you want to add about where where the game is right now, where the owners and the players association are? It's a constant um, everyone wondering if and when the games are going to come back. Where Where do you think it stands right now? Is there anything worth talking about? Uh, you know, Doug, I do think they're eventually going to play. I would like to see them play more than a 48 or 50 game schedule. And, but right now that's, that's where things are, are spiraling to, uh, you know, with uh, the, the union saying they're not going to, uh, you know, make any more counter proposals. And the MLB is major league baseball is kind of, you know, every proposal they make to the players is, is, a little little different window dressing, but it's the same percentage of pay. You know, it's 33% of the pay, and it doesn't change much. So I just wish that, you know, a Tony Clark and and uh, a Rob Manfred could, could go get together one-on-one and just kind of settle this thing. I mean, there's still time to maybe play 60, 65 games if you if you want to have a three-week spring training. But, you know, they've, they've got to run out. And if you play 50, 48 to 50 games – you know, Doug, I don't know how about you feel about that, but that's kind of a joke to me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, how far are you willing to push it to have – where's the threshold of something is better than nothing, right? That, like, how how far do you push that? That, you know, I mean, if you had a 15 or a 20-game season, that's better than nothing, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, but it's also yeah. at some point it's like, what are we doing here? Um, <laughs> all right, well, I guess probably people want to talk ball, though, right? People I, – I can imagine baseball fans, their ears start to bleed a little bit with all this negotiation talk. So are you, should we get, get to Scott Merkin? Yeah, let's get him on here. I'm tired of talking about that other stuff. All right, here he comes. Scott Merkin covers the Chicago White Sox from MLB.com. Uh, it's always good to know the enemy. So when you get done listening to this, Cleveland Indians fans, you will know more about the Chicago White Sox than you do right now. Get ready for Scott Merkin next on Cleveland Baseball Talk. All right, joined here by Scott Merkin, covers the White Sox for MLB.com. Scott, first of all, thank you for joining us. Sure, my pleasure. Are the White Sox officially better than the Indians? Hoinsey, is that how this podcast works? Do we jump right in like that? <laughs> just, just jump right in there. No, you know, as Hoinsey knows, and you, and you know too, Doug, sometimes you want to get to the hard question, you got to throw the, the opener out to the you know, first and then get secondary, but I see you're going right at it. I don't, I don't know. Number one, I don't know what anything is this season. You know, I mean, who knows what the parameters are and what the teams are going to be like this season. But I would think if, if this was a full season, if nothing would have stopped this season, I still think the Sox were probably the third best team in that division. And that's as the Indians are currently constructed. You know, granted, if they started to trade away Lindor or Clevenger or something, that, well, obviously that would be a huge hit for, for any team. I think the Sox, you know, if there was not this, you know, COVID holdup and everything else this year, I think they would have been a team that could have made a little bit of noise this year, but it wasn't certain where they'd be. 21 was more the year. It reminds me a little bit if you stick in Chicago, like the 15 Cubs. You know, the Cubs had a, a mediocre start to the season and then just crushed it down the stretch and ended up getting to the LCS before they lost to the Mets. And that was considered a year before they were supposed to be there and they won the title in 16. So I think the Sox could have been in the mix for sure. They were close, but they're closer to the Indians and Twins than they wore to the Tigers and Royals. And that wasn't necessarily true last year in 2019. Scott, um, you guys made so many moves. The White Sox made so many moves over the winter. 
I mean, what what's the feeling in the organization? There has to be some frustration that, you know, you waited all this time. This was your window. You added veteran guys. You had so many great young players, and now there's no there's no games. What what what's going on with the front office? Well, you know, we haven't had a – I don't know about you guys, but there hasn't been a big chance to talk to the front office since March 13th, March 14th. Uh, been pretty quiet. But I think in general, you know, yeah, obviously you suffered through the building part of the rebuild, you know, where the team was losing consistently. They were bad. You know, they there were two years removed from them losing 100 games, right? They lost 89 last year. And you wanted to see the the fruits of that labor. You wanted to find success. But there really isn't – you know, it's it's – I think it'd be one thing if they went in and guys completely underperformed and, you know, there were injuries galore or something like that, but this is just something you really can't control. Unfortunately, it's something that's affecting the whole nation. So yeah, they want to get playing and they're probably, you know, just shaking their heads saying we really have a team. We really have a great young core assemble. We added some key veterans along in the mix. And, you know, here we are waiting as of, you know, June 15th, June 16th, still nothing going on. So yeah, they want to play, but I think it's, it's frustration, but it's tempered by what's going on in the whole country. Scott, I'm, I'm curious about the strategy the White Sox have employed here, obviously, with the tank and the rebuild and all the right. young players and now adding the veterans now. I, I always wonder, you know, the Indians are in a, a great run uh, at the moment that who knows how long this window will remain open. But to me, I would not be at all surprised if this is something the Indians may have to consider or be faced with at some point. Um, I don't know if they'd want to go down that road or not, but how have fans reacted over the last several years to this clear White Sox plan of stinking and rebuilding? Um, and from your perspective, like, did it work? Was it worth it? Or was this a mistake to go down this road for the White Sox? I first got to say the Indians surprised me last year. The Sox saw them earlier in the year and they were not a very good ball club, but it's interesting. I still remember a quote post game from Jason Kipnis, who said, and Jason Kipnis, of course, now with the Cubs, who said, you know, at that point, hey, this is, you know, as good as the Sox are probably going to get this year, and we know we can get a lot better. And, boy, they, they certainly did over the course of the year. So in answer to your question, though, the fans have really embraced the rebuild, and I think it's because they've embraced a strict direction. You know, the Sox were a team that really did – they went for it. They added players. You know, they made trades. They, they got key guys they identified they thought would make a difference. But they just didn't have the depth behind it to succeed. You know, like in, uh, I think it was 2016. It was 2016, I remember, because there was a point where both the Cubs and Sox were sitting atop the divisions in, like, early May. And people are like, well, you know, maybe. There, there hasn't been a Cubs-Sox World Series in, you know, in anyone's lifetime, really. We're dating back to the 19-aughts. And, um, you know, once it's, it slid that year, it slid completely off the tracks, and that was that was it. So, I think the fact that they went rebuild, even though they had to trade away, arguably, you know, one of the top two or three pitchers in franchise history and Chris Sale, a great success story in Jose Quintana, you know, and, and other guys, Todd Frazier, David Robertson, along the way, who they acquired to go for it. Fans really embrace the fact that they're building this young core. They're locking down. It's kind of like with the Indian. You know, I talked to Jim Tomey about this. It's kind of what the Indians did in the 90s, right, where they got this young core. They put them together. They signed them, you know, longer term. They let them develop together. They let them lose together. And then you hope they win together. So, yeah, I think it's worth it because they really have some great young players. Moncada, uh, Eloy Jimenez, Lucas Giolito, uh, Tim Anderson. You know, we're going to see Luis Robert for the first time. He was a huge pickup for them in the international market. But it really isn't a success right until you win. I mean, there's a lot of teams that have rebuilt. As you guys know, a lot of teams that have rebuilt. And 
a lot of teams have done it right, and a lot of teams have not won. Look at Milwaukee. Milwaukee kind of did, I think, like a modified rebuild. They had some great seasons, but no title, right? There's only one title every year. It's not like, you know, you do half a season and you get a title. So some of these rebuild teams aren't going to win. Some of these rebuild teams aren't going to win a championship. And that's going to be, you know, the, the telling point one way or the other. Even a team like, you know, the Cubs and the Royals and the Astros who all won one, it's still a successful rebuild. You hit the point you wanted to. So I think until you win. Now, granted, the Sox have never even been in the playoffs back-to-back years. So if they can do that for starters, that's a step forward. But I think you'll know if it's a successful rebuild if they do win. What what do you what can you tell us about Luis Robert? I mean, it's it, interesting. This, this guy's like signed to a multi-year deal. He hasn't even played. Uh, yeah. He hasn't even taken a bat in the, in the big leagues. I think he's guaranteed. I, I'm top of my head. I'm trying to think what it was like. Like close to 100 million dollars, counting his signing bonus. And literally, like you said, he has not seen a strike or a ball or an inning in a regular season game yet. So they're putting a lot of money on uh, on his talent. But I mean. You know, two years ago, it was 18. He had a lot of injuries in the minor leagues. He had like 255. He didn't hit a home run. Had like 17 RBI. Stole a few bases. And people are like, okay, you know, off year. But, you know, we got to see, you got to see something out of him. And last year was as good a minor league season as you'll see from a player. You know, he had over 30 home runs. He hit 320 across three different stops. Uh, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and AAA Charlotte. He had double-digit triples, double-digit doubles. He stole 36 bases. He's really a five-tool talent. I really believe that. Luis Robert is going to be kind of the fulcrum of this rebuild. You know, I think it was the Cardinals who were the other team who were big in on him in the international market when the Sox signed him. And it really, you know, might be a move that defines this rebuild. But there are great players on that team across the board. Great young players have to prove themselves a little more, obviously, but with a lot of talent. But Luis Robert is a, is a, is a bona fide five to a player. I mean, I remember he hit, a, he hit a ball into the gap in left center during spring training. And, you know, left center usually is, even for a speedy guy, is, a sure double, maybe you take a shot at a triple if someone mishandles the ball. And he made it in the third. He just glided in the third base without really any mess up by the outfielder. So he just has that kind of raw potential. I mean, is he going to have to learn the game a little bit? Yeah, obviously. You know, pitchers pitched Aloy Jimenez like a 10-year veteran at the start of last season, and he had to adapt. You know, he was swinging a lot of pitchers' pitches, a lot of balls out of the zone. But he got better as the year went on, and that's going to happen to Robert too. But, yeah, I mean, he is he is a – he is a guy they're counting on to be kind of their, I don't know about an MVP candidate, but their main guy for years to come. Yeah, a 30-30 guy in the minors. I mean, yes. you just don't yes. see that. No, I mean, across the board, I, I, don't, I could call him up. I don't have the stats right in front of me. But across the board, it was just an amazing season. And I think people were kind of a little miffed. That's, that's been the biggest. You asked earlier, Doug, about the, the fans' reaction. The biggest issue, I think, with the fans is, you know, they want guys up quicker than they, they understand the process. They understand they want the Sox want guys up. You know, first of all, there's service time concerns, but they also want these guys up that when they're up, they stay up, you know, if possible. There's always the exception where guys they have to go back down and come back up again. But I think, you know, fans wanted to see Robert last year in September. They didn't. Hopefully they'll get a chance to see him some point soon in whatever this modified 20 season is. Scott, it was interesting that the White Sox then did go out and sign a bunch of these veterans this offseason. Yes, Manny Grandal at catcher. Right. Gio Gonzalez, Dallas Keuchel in the rotation, and a familiar name for Indians fans as a big bat in the middle of the lineup, potentially, Edwin Encarnacion. I was worried that he was over the hill when the Indians got him in 2017, and then he drove in 107 runs in both 2017 and 2018 for the Indians. Here we are now, three seasons removed from that. I think he's 37 years old. Right. Does, how much do, you, do the White Sox think he has left? 
and how important is Encarnacion to this White Sox lineup, which has, as you guys have mentioned, a lot of good young hitters, but this is a, you know, a guy at his best who's a bona fide 100 RBI guy. Well, you know, Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams knew at the end of this process they'd have to go outside the market to, to get guys to supplement it. You're not going to win. No team ever wins on just young players alone. That's pretty much, you know, a setback. It's, it's difficult to do. So they went out and got Grandal, who is, you know, probably the best pitch framer, a very good hitter, a guy who gets on base a lot as a catcher. They went after Zach Wheeler, didn't get him, but they got Dallas Keuchel. They got Gio Gonzalez, cloth rotation. And Encarnacion is a key guy because the Sox have failed in the past in trying to put guys in the DH role who really don't want a DH, who really have no experience doing that, that, you know, were position players their whole life and then became a DH when they came to the Sox. And, you know, people can who aren't in the game and not like that I'm so deep in the game, but who, you know, think like, oh, it's just DHing, it's hitting. I mean, it really is an art to it. And the guys who do it well know about that art, and Encarnacion is one of them. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with this season, but if it was a full season, I think he would have seen some time at first base. You know, Abreu, they wanted to get Abreu off his feet every now and then. But Encarnacion is a guy who is an established designated hitter who is successful, and they love that in the past. And, they, you know, they have a guy, Andrew Vaughn, who they drafted last year, and he's, you know, got great ratings about him, great reports about him. He probably will not be ready in 21 at this point now because of this season. So you have Encarnacion for this year and an option. But I will add one more thing. They kind of followed in the veteran process what the Twins did last year and that they got good guys who helped the team, but they got guys who were proven winners too, who have been through this before. And, you know, there's always the debate about do you need guys? You know, do you, can you learn how to win? Well, I, I think it helps. I think it helps. You have a lot of young guys who have not experienced this before. And even the young guys who have been in the major leagues, Anderson, Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, Dylan Cease, have not won at all. I think it's good that you have guys, you know, like Grandal and Gonzalez and Keuchel and Encarnacion, Encarnacion, who all have extensive playoff experience to help out. And, and Steve Ciszek, for that matter, too, in the bullpen to help out. Yeah, in, uh, Encarnacion, I, I think that was a great move. Yeah. Uh, young, young players, especially Latin American players, really flocked to him. He can help them, take them under their wing, his wing. He's uh, that that was a good move. That that was a big move, I thought. For yeah, it's, it's interesting. He's he's already he's friends with Jimenez. Like he he's the story is that he's he used to work out in Encarnacion's academy, and uh, they know each other from that already. So there are you know there's already a connection there. But yeah, he had a little bit of a back thing. I think it was in spring training or a hip thing, whatever it was. But I'm guessing everyone is you know who didn't need surgery, which no one in the Sox did, is pretty healthy at this point. What, you know, with, Go ahead, uh, with with Gio, with Gio and, and uh, Keuchel, how do you see them helping you? Help, help the White Sox, not you. Yeah, and, and <laughs> they want to pick up a few bills for me. That would be nice. Yeah, yeah right. They got, they got paid real well. I, would, I, would, I wouldn't turn that down at all. I would, we, we keep that quiet if they want to help, too. I'm a, I'll put my number out there if they need it. Uh, <laughs> you know, Keuchel's a great guy who's, again, experienced a championship who has been a Cy Young winner, who, you know, knows how to pitch under pressure and already showed, you know, that there was a story Bob Nightingale did that we kind of, you know, followed up on too in spring training where he took the whole team, you know, not just the players, coaches, managers, front office guys, media relations guys, dinner during spring training and kind of, you know, a bonding thing right away. And I think he's that type of guy. And plus he's, you know, a ground ball guy, which is, you know, Hoinsey from being at guaranteed rate many, many times, you know, when it gets warm in the summer, you need ground ball guys in that ballpark because yeah. the ball tends to fly. So he's a perfect, you know, fit in that rotation. You know, Gio's kind of interesting because everyone's told the story about he's been with the Sox a couple of times. The Sox drafted him. 
and they traded him as part of the Jim Tomey trade. And I think they got him back as part of the Freddie Garcia trade and then traded him again as part of the Nick Swisher trade to Oakland, if I got that right. So he's never pitched a major league inning for the Sox. The one thing with uh, Gonzalez is he, Gio, he had some shoulder problems this offseason, which led to him not throwing a cactus league inning. So the one thing I'm interested about when baseball does come back, and again, all bets are off this year because it's going to be, you know, whatever, 50, 60, 70 game season. But guys like um, Gio Gonzalez and Michael Kopech, who I, you know, forgot totally when I talk about the great young players who could be, you know, one of their aces. They're, they're going to be healthy. They should be healthy by now, you know, considering it was March 14th when we left Arizona, March 15th. But they haven't thrown in any games. You know, they didn't even throw in any. Kopech threw one inning in a Cactus League game. And Gio, you know, did not throw in any Cactus League games. So I get it that, you know, they're going to have some time to ramp back up. But how is that going to affect them in terms of endurance? Quite, I think it's going to be interesting overall, you know, how will it affect these guys in general having kind of a, a second off season in the middle of what, after, you know, kind of ramping things up for a month in Arizona, how's that going to affect them? But, you know, Gio fits in right now that they have some great young pitchers. He is a guy who can sit, take the fifth spot when healthy and, you know, could work out of the bullpen if they have other guys ready to go. I'm not sure what his, he is past this year, but it, you know, it gave you a chance to have a quality veteran in there without rushing anyone to the majors in the young group. Scott, we know the Tigers had their run, um, 11 through 14, winning four straight right. AL Central titles. Then the Royals had their two seasons in the World Series. Then the Indians kind of took over this division for three years. We saw the Twins then jump up last year. Uh, the White Sox haven't had their turn in a while. You mentioned the Twins earlier. Is that when Indians fans think about the White Sox, and we saw the way the Twins kind of everything came together for them last year, and all of a sudden here they are ready to win the division. Right. Is, is that – is that a good compare? Is that a reasonable comparison for whenever the White Sox, whenever ever it pulls together, whether it's maybe this year or next, is that what it might feel like? What the Twins did a year ago? I think it is, but I think in going back further, I think the Sox would like more what the Indians did in the '90s. You know, I think they feel like Rick Hahn has made this. The GM has made this comment a couple times that you know he wants multiple championships. Well, that's great. You know, I mean, I want you know a million dollars to be left outside my door after this interview is over. It may not happen, but it's, it's, that's what the Sox are gearing this for. This is not geared just to be division contenders and hang in there for four or five years and hope you win one. They want to win a couple championships. So I think they're looking more – yeah, I think it could be like the Twins. I think you could see them just kind of jump on the scene, especially with the veterans they've added and the development of these younger guys. You saw some great performances in September from these younger guys, Anderson, Moncada, Jimenez. Now, again, it was September when they were completely out of the race. So, you know, no pressure whatsoever on these guys. But that's what they're looking for. They're looking for kind of a run like the Indians had, where it's not every year where you're like, eh, you know, can they win the AL Central? Can they get in the playoffs? It's kind of starting. You know what the Dodgers are going through right now? Kind of starting at, okay, if they don't win the division or get in the playoffs, that's a huge disappointment. You know, not just kind of getting there. But I do agree with you, Doug, that I think, you know, when they're ready, it's going to take off and it's going to be going to be pretty exciting, you know, if things all kind of fall into place. and. One of the key things they showed this in the draft too, is they're continuing to go after this high end talent because, you know, I think Jerry Reinsdorf said this, you know, the white Sox owner before it even began that you need to get like, you know, 20 or 22 of these guys to make sure five or six even work. Right. I mean, best intentions, great work ethics, great kids still doesn't mean that all of them across the board are going to be successful, especially in the roles you have them in. So you kind of, you know, get a bunch to make sure it works. And, you know, right now they've done a real nice job of doing that. It was interesting. What? The draft goes five rounds. The White Sox take five pitchers. Were you surprised right. by that? Or what was 
What was the thinking behind that? You know, uh, Mike Shirley, who was in his first, he was the assistant director of amateur scouting last year, and this is his first year running the draft, had talked about pitching was a strength. You don't want to, um, I don't say, say this delicately, you don't want to take anything away from the last three guys they drafted, but this was a draft for them about the two guys, uh, uh, Garrett Crochet and Jared Kelly. Those are the first two round guys. Crochet was at 11. Kelly, who was projected by MLB Pipeline as the number 12 best right. prospect in the draft, fell to the White Sox at 47. So that's going to be, you know, the bulk of their bonus pool, those two guys. I mean, it's great. The other three guys have got a chance. They're going to get an opportunity. And who knows, you know, Mark Burley was a 38th round draft pick and, you know, arguably is one of the top two or three pitchers in the history of their franchise, you know, started a World Series game and saved a World Series game in the same in the same uh, 24 hour period. So I'm not surprised. And I, I think they're I know they're very excited to have a guy like Crochet who doesn't have a ton of experience starting at Tennessee. You know, he had some injuries here and there. He got hit with a line drive in the face and he had a little shoulder soreness this year, which was, you know, is fine now. But he's got the ability. You know, he's got the 100-mile-an-hour fastball. He's got the, the off-speed stuff. So, he's, you know, he's there to be worked on. I, I would not be surprised, you know, assuming they get him signed in this week, that assuming there is this season in, in this taxi squad, if he's a part of the taxi squad. Yeah, I don't know if he'll be ever see action, but just to get him some work as it's going. And, you know, Kelly's a high-end guy. Kelly's a guy who could really sit atop of a rotation if things work out there. So I'm not surprised at the five pitchers. And, again, I think it was – the two guys and then kind of just kind of finishing off the draft with good players who are going to allow you to sign the first two guys who are dynamic. Scott, I want to make sure we get sort of your outsider's view on the Indians. Um, when the Indians won their three straight division titles, they won, I think, by eight games, 17 games and 13 games. And I think a lot of Indians fans can see that like, hey, the Indians are really good, but they're also taking advantage of some small market teams right. that are down at the same time. Whether it's just your your perspective, um, you know, knowing the Indians but covering another team, or maybe what people around the White Sox ever say, do do does do the people in Chicago do you view the Indians as like kind of on a downturn that like their time is sort of is sort of maybe ending, and now whether it's the Twins or the White Sox, somebody else is rising up, and and is there anything? I don't know with what the Indians did again with just their financial constraints, but the, the pitchers they developed to have young guys in the system, they developed like Lindor and Jose Ramirez. What have people thought of the Indians success during these last several years? Well, it's funny. You talk about the taking advantage of the, the teams in the AL Central. I remember one year, I think they got to the playoffs and this was a year. I think they just went to the wild card game and lost basically because they were 17 and two against the Sox that year. I think they, they absolutely just annihilated them. But I think you said it, you summed it up pretty well. You know, the Indians have had great starting pitching, you know, kind of overwhelming starting pitching with Kluber and Bauer and um, Clevenger is there now. And uh, Bieber, I'm forgetting, you know, had the unbelievable breakout season last year. So I think there's no question that Sox fans and people think that, you know, they'll be able to develop, continue to develop talent. But I think there is that financial component to it. You know, is a guy like Flindor, who is one of the best all-around players in baseball, is there any chance he stays with the Indians? Is there any chance a guy like Clevenger, who's, you know, a, an ace that even the most stacked rotations would love to have, is there any chance that he sticks with them? You know, Ramirez is a great story how he's kind of broken out. So I think right now, if they're looking at the division, Sox fans, I'm not sure what the organization would tell you. I think just from a distance, the Twins are the team to beat. The Indians are kind of the question mark, could be really good or could take things apart and, you know, fall down closer to what the Tigers and Royals are. So I think the Sox are geared more towards what the Twins have, but knowing that the Indians can jump up and get you at any time because of the fact that they can bring in talent. You know, even uh, 
was it Plesak who had a pretty good year for them coming up last year in the rotation. So, you know, they, and uh, they, they have a, you know, a, a good, a good organization. It's just a question of, are they going to be able to keep their most dynamic players long-term? Points. Right. you got anything else for Scott before we let one, him go? One more, Scott. What? Sure. Two years ago, you know, I'm looking at Moncada. I'm sitting there, you know, I don't see it, you know. I, right. This guy was supposed to be the best amateur player in baseball. And two years ago, I'm sitting there, I, you know, he's striking out over 200 times. Last year, he was like a totally different guy. He looked like an MVP. What what happened to him? Well, a few things. To his credit, he was not sad. You know, first of all, he has a great demeanor. Like, you know, we hit him up countless times in that 18 season where he struck out 217 times. Asking him, you know, what's going on? What's going wrong? Why are you striking out so much? He was very calm and he said, it's a process. You know, some guys it happens quick. Some guys it takes a little longer. I've not lost any confidence in my ability. But to his credit, well, just as one quick thing is that he has a great batting eye up there and the Sox felt like he was letting the counts get too deep, which was then giving kind of the umpires and the pitchers a chance to beat them on their pitch. And maybe he wasn't getting calls all the time, but he became more aggressive in the strike zone last year. So that meant if the best pitch was at 0-1, he was our first pitch, he was swinging at it. If the best pitch was 3-2, then he was taking that one too. But to his credit, what I started to say a few three seconds ago was he went to, in, at the end of the 18th season, went to Ricky Renteria, the manager, and Todd Steverson, who was the hitting coach, no longer is, and said, I want to get better. I want to fix things. Let's do this in the offseason. So he went for two weeks, excuse me, to Arizona, where Steverson lives and where Ricky Renteria lives. And they worked extensively at Camelback Ranch there and kind of fixed some things with his hands, fixed some things with his stroke overall. I mean, immensely talented kid, good-natured, good temperament. I think also moving from second to third, he found a more instinctive defensive position, and it was a better fit for him. So all those things combined, I think, you know, you, I think last year is more likely to be repeated than the 2018 year where he hit about what, like 240, 250, maybe even 260 with 217 strikeouts. Yeah. He, he deserves a lot of credit. I mean, the coaches deserve a lot of credit for helping him, but he deserves a lot of credit for taking the initiative and wanting to improve. Well, listen, Scott, thanks a lot, man. That's great. Sure. I, I'm going uh, to throw ahead. one more at you, Scott, before you go. All I'm right. not sure where All you right. stand on being pinned down on predictions. <laughs> the White Sox haven't won the AL Central since 2008. When will they next win it? Wow. Like, if you would have asked me that in 20, at the beginning of this season, when there was no coronavirus and nothing else, I would have said 21 or 22 would have been a, a very safe bet. Now you, ju you just don't know because you don't know how this time off is going to affect development. So let's just go with 22. Let's say 2022 is going to be the year where I think they kind of start their, their big run. They're going to have guys like Vaughn in that lineup then. They're going to have Kopech completely ready with a full season behind him. So I think 22 may be the Sox year in the AL Central. Hoinze, you got a good guess, man. This guy knows a lot about the White Sox. <laughs> You're not kidding. <laughs> I've done it. I've done it for 18 years. And as I tell people, I started when I was 18. So um, <laughs> that may or may not be true. <laughs> well, I thought that was really fun. That was Hoinze. I know much more about the White Sox now than I did 20 minutes ago. Definitely. Definitely. Scott knows his stuff. Scott Merkin from MLB.com. If you guys want to follow him on Twitter, it's at Scott Merkin, S-C-O-T-T-M-E-R-K-I-N. Uh, Scott, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to join us on Cleveland Baseball Talk, and hopefully we'll uh, all have some actual games to be talking about sooner than later. That'd be great. Take care, guys. Be safe, and thanks for having me. Thanks, buddy.